I'm Josh Liston from On The Bubble Podcast, an oral history of television fandom, part of the Gunner Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other awesome geeky shows at GunnerGeekNetwork.com. This is the official GunnerGeek.com show. Each week we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Steven, Chris, and SP. Welcome to the 377th episode of the official Gunna Geek Show. I am Steven, and with me, of course, is Chris Farrell. I can't wait to talk about John Oliver's business daddy tonight. You know what? Anytime you want to do business with me, I will gladly do that, Chris. I also got SP here. It's Monday. I love Mondays. When Monday nights, we record the GunnaGeek.com show. Very proud to be here with my two companions. One happens to be from Canada. We excuse him for that every week. Sorry about that, eh? Uh, sorry, let me do that again. Sorry about that, eh? That, that was better. Oh, okay. That's, you know, you got to get it right with the right emotion and the right feeling. Matter of fact, let's do take three just to make sure you get it right. Sorry about that, eh? You want to go for a double-double at the Timmy's? With a Molson? <laughs> Timmy's doesn't sell Molsons. You bring the Molson with you, and then you pour it in your coffee, and then you make yourself a, a alcoholic coffee. I don't know. I don't make it, the rules. Is that a thing in Canada? You know, you don't know until you come here, SP. You'll have to wait and find out. I mean, we could get longtime fanboy buzz listener Gamera Sith to come in and just make tons of moose jokes. That used to be the thing back in the day. Is anytime there's a Canada reference, we would then be guaranteed to get fan mail or tweets referencing moose after the fact. That is true. Uh, hey, speaking of things that don't matter like that, the Ambies came out. Hey, so that's an exciting thing that totally Excuse involved me, the Gunna Geek the show. The Ambians? Is that what you're talking yeah. about? Did people need a sleep aid? The Ambians, you're correct. But uh, I know, uh. as, as, kidding aside, I know SB had a couple of thoughts about the Ambi Podcast Awards. So I just thought I'd take the moment before we get to the news to give you your moment here to, to let it all off your chest. Let it off there, SB. There's not enough time in this show <laughs> to let it all off my chest. So we'll have a better podcasting live chat tomorrow to talk about it. But in essence, I mean, there are good shows that were chosen. They were just all big corporate shows. So, yes, podcasting has now evolved into big corporate podcasting. Podcasts have a business daddy, too. If you're a big corporation and you'd like to sponsor the Gunna Geek Show, please get in touch with us by emailing podcast at gunnageek.com. Way to set up that email. If you haven't been paying attention, you might not have been aware that there has been a real balloon of video conference slash chat applications over the last year. Something about, you know, people being at home, not being able to socialize. Although at first glance, you might think that Skype was Microsoft's flagship product for this purpose. The reality is that Microsoft actually has been slowly moving away from Skype on the business side of things for the last couple of years. They've been slowly moving away from, from Skype business into something called Microsoft Teams, specifically. So th there has been some Skype normal consumer activity still happening, but Skype for Business has been basically being replaced with Microsoft Teams. And Microsoft Teams is a platform that allows businesses to connect on multiple levels. While there are features like chat and video calling that you'd find in Skype, really Microsoft Teams is a lot more than that. It includes the ability to add different communities for different members of the organization, integrate seamlessly into Microsoft products like OneDrive and SharePoint. Essentially, Microsoft Teams is a whole team environment productivity suite that Microsoft has really hung their hat on. So up until last year, it seemed pretty obvious. Microsoft would be doing Teams for the corporate side of things, and they would keep Skype for the personal user. Well, that's not the case anymore because all of these things that I mentioned that sounded perfectly tailored 
towards the business side of things are now being offered for personal use. Yes, Microsoft did announce that the personal consumer would be able to use Microsoft Teams in the future. This is back in March 2020, they announced that. And then in June, they ended up testing it a little bit further with some people. But now they're starting the rollout because May 17th, today, the day we record this, personal features in Microsoft Teams is generally available to the personal user. This is available on desktop, mobile, worldwide. The Microsoft Teams app is, of course, also on iOS and Android desktop, and it's available by, quote, any browser, end quote, according to Microsoft. Although everybody seems to be reporting that Firefox users have said that it's not really working over there either. So why do I want to bring this up as the news point today? Well, I think I, I want to first off by, by starting saying that it's not entirely surprising that Microsoft is pushing this Teams platform towards personal because we have seen this sort of hybrid come in the last year with Zoom moving from being mostly a personal-based product to having a lot of corporate involvement. And then reverse side of things, Google originally had their Meet platform that was very clearly their business product. And then there was that whole fiasco where, no, we're going to make that for personal and kind of phase out duo. So it's not entirely new, but I really wanted to bring this up because I don't know about you guys, but my experience with Microsoft Teams is that it is very, very corporate based. Like when you look at it and you go, I need a productivity suite for a corporation and a company that is in, uh, that is taking advantage of modern culture and they're not sticking their heels in the past and they're going, we no longer need those physical region barriers, but we still need a way to be product or have productivity with other locations. Microsoft Teams seemed exactly designed for that, for business, and yet they're rolling it out for personal. So that's why I wanted to bring this out up today, because today it begins the rollout, and I want to know, what do you guys think about this? To me, it feels a lot more awkward than even Google Meet, because Google Meet had elements of Hangouts, which was also for personal. Like, you kind of could see the evolution in there. So I want to I start. SP was wincing every time I said, Microsoft Teams. So let's start with Chris. I use Teams at work and it's actually a pretty good experience 95% of the time. And when I do have issues, it's because I'm running Teams on a VM. So the VM doesn't always recognize microphones and stuff that are plugged in. And I use the application on there. And I've also used my laptop. I keep next to my desk to log into the web version of Teams for meetings and to access my OneDrive docs and things like that through there. So from a productivity standpoint, Teams is leaps and bounds better than Skype for Business ever was. You just have to get used to how everything is kind of integrated together. And once you start working in that ecosystem, it's not bad. I, I don't know if I care a ton about it for personal use. Maybe it's just because I automatically associate it with work purposes right now. But I feel like most of the people I want to chat with are already on different platforms. So having a personal version of Teams isn't really going to help me. Yeah, I can download the app everywhere. I can make calls on it, but I can already do it with the existing platforms I have to talk to people. So I guess they're thinking maybe there'll be some adoption because people are just used to it. But frankly, I, 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 how do I put this bluntly? I guess bluntly like this. I don't really care that they did it because it doesn't change what I do unless they say, hey, Skype is going is end of life as of this date. And then I have to pivot some of my podcasting around a little bit because I use Skype for podcasting still. In our chat, Suncast is saying that he believes Teams actually does support NDI. I don't know if you if you remember way back when, listener and viewer, we talked about how Skype actually included what's called NDI, which is basically a, a way that you can take the video coming out of Skype and you can feed it in through a standardized protocol into other software. We actually did that a while for the Gunna Geek Show. As Chris mentioned, he still does it for all things good and nerdy. And, and it, it is the, the mainstream HD protocol for video is NDI, and Skype has supported that for a couple of years now. So it's interesting if uh, Teams does include that at the same sort of quality, because I know Microsoft Teams, my work experience is video quality varies, then 
maybe, yeah, they, they maybe they would go end of life and just go Microsoft Teams. But uh, I, I actually have to admit, Chris, I forgot you still use NDI on all things good and nerdy. And so I, I know that or I know that Skype has kind of been something that has worked well with both of your hosts over there. And it was one of the platforms that the, seemed to work with both of their hardware. So I hope that right. this isn't an indication they're going to go to Teams because that could uh, I- implement another problem or impose another problem in, in, your sis- in your situation. If they do, I'll just stop being lazy and finally pivot over to OBS Ninja like I've been thinking about doing for the last six months. I just didn't want to redo all my scenes and overlays because I was lazy. The only thing that I want to bring up here right now, actually, before we get to SP, since we're talking about the the whole NDI thing, is that the Skype quality has been relatively poor compared to the modern standard for years, right? Like, you know, I, I, it's it's fine. It's listenable. It, it's serviceable. But like when you look at where they always were compared to other offerings, like Hangouts on Air, for when Hangouts on Air was there, you guys were using that. It was far better audio quality than Skype was offering at the time. And and even now you look and there's things like Zoom, which is better than Skype. So I I think that my experience with Teams at work is that it is probably better overall audio wise than Skype. But um, I don't know. I I guess we we would see because maybe that would give you better quality using it for a situation like that if if it offers better quality than Skype. But I don't know. Uh, SP, what's your thoughts? I know you were, again, I said you were wincing quite a bit. So I want to know what's your thoughts. I just have some work PTSD when it comes to this app, because it's what we've been using for, I don't know, nine, 10 months now, maybe even more than that. But I know we weren't using it at the beginning and now we started using it, but there is a sunset of it at my work in 29 days, five hours, 52 minutes, and 18 seconds, as I just said that. And I'm looking at the countdown on my Teams app right now on my phone, which is counting down. Uh, So everybody's pivoting off of it. We're not using it anymore. I did have to use it for a couple of training classes over the past couple of months. It was okay in one, and it completely failed in another. And I just... I, I, I'm done with it. I just want to move on to something else. Now, the functionality for work with the files integration with Office 365 or whatever version of Office that you have, it was fine. You could make real-time edits just like you can on a Google Doc or Google Sheet or something like that and it was working. So to be to have that sort of sharing available for the first time ever at my work was okay. I don't understand why we couldn't use some sort of Google, but it's the direction my work went. And in the future, we're pivoting to something that we can't use on our home computers. You have Hmm. to have a work furnished computer in order to use whatever they're going to use. And since I am going to have to be at work, I'm not even going to bother doing that because I'll use all the internal systems and supposedly the whatever we're using will interface with the internal systems like our our email and our shared drives and stuff like that. I'm not sure if it's a VPN or something like that, but I'm I'm done with Teams basically right now. And that experiment is over for my work. It was okay, like I said, but I just don't think it worked well for what I do in my job. I have to say, I th- I think really highly of Microsoft Teams. You know, I I work in an environment that for the entire time that I've been there has embraced the digital culture just by having multiple offices and things like that. And I I do think in the future, it'll be like nine out of 10 offices will have that interaction that is digital of some form. And and we won't have the just all all the desk to desk meetings. I think you'll, you'll just find from aligning schedules and productivity and things like that. I think we're we're going to see more of those those um offices require some form of productivity like Microsoft Teams offers. And I I think Microsoft Teams does a really good job for those office places that do want to embrace that sort of digital productivity and not rely on the desk-to-desk conversation. I uh, you know when I'm in the office, I message people a lot of times more than I get up and I I walk you know, 10 feet across the office and talk to them. That's just the nature of 
the environment that was built in there. I don't get it for a personal. I am completely lost at why they're rolling this out to personal. So I just wanted to say that, like, I, I'm not dogging on teams, but I don't get it. I really don't get it for personal. And I guess we'll see what happens. Maybe in 12 months from now, I'll be going, wow, we're using this for all of our show docs. We're using this to connect with video. We're running all of the gonna geek show and better podcasting happening through it. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll eat crow, but at the moment, I don't see it. I mean, I could see the potential. If you could have it be a one-stop app that supports your streaming, supports your show notes and things like that. Yeah, I mean, that'd be cool. Like if if we were still doing something that had Hangouts on Air integrated into Google Docs or something like that, that would be cool. I mean, I can see from a productivity standpoint where it would be useful, but our use case is slightly different than the traditional consumer too, which is part of the reason I scratch my head and go, I guess they're just doing yeah. this because the thought is maybe Skype's going to go away at some point. That's a really good point too, because I'm sitting here struggling and thinking of maybe a way for podcasting for our own personal use, but that's not the average personal use. So you're right, Chris, like the average person, I don't know. Maybe they just want to try to somehow get back that MSN messenger love from the uh, aughts. I don't know, maybe. I know there's a lot of business use of over the internet stuff, but there's a lot of streaming usage as well in whatever format it is, whether it's Facebook Live, Instagram Live, uh, Spaces Live, whatever it is in the social media, as well as YouTube and Twitch. And maybe if they can get a foothold there, it might be worth their while uh, to have as a business space. I don't know. Like I said, I, I really don't care. I, I could see it working in an environment that has embraced the digital culture. My work has rescinded all telework agreements as of 1 June. And if you're going to telework after 1 June, and right now it's uh, 17 uh, May 2021, but if you're going to telework after 1 June, you have to invoke a new telework agreement with your boss. So we're just considered to go back to work right now. I have already been for the past several months, but the rest of my office is coming back as well. Just to clarify, when, when I was talking about digital work, I, I wasn't actually meaning telework because because I, I was meaning like because telework is is relatively new on the mass for, for my workplace because of the pandemic. And we'll see where it shakes out. I was talking just like you don't really use physical paper anymore. You don't really have right. physical storage like that was what I was meaning for. And, and that's where I think Teams does a really, really good job is with all of that data management, because I think it's less about the conversations to me is a really good aspect. Like it's reliable. I, I don't use the phone extension anymore. It's easy for me just to dial up my boss or whatever, but it's all of that housing of information that I think teams excels at. Right. And, and again, my, that, that another reason I just don't see it for personal. Yeah. In my work, we can't have any mobile devices, no tablets or mobile phones or anything like that. So it, it gets lost. We have to have paper when we're going into a meeting and we can't be paperless. And as far as sharing, we're still using SharePoint as the main sharing hub. Ugh. So that's Ugh. where we're at, right? Ugh, I hate SharePoint. Well, you say no I more. I do too. Say no more, SP. We understand where you're at. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go on to the next news point here, which is about another SpaceX. X, X, X. X going to give it to you, right? News article, right? Yeah, so SpaceX has some things going on for them. One of the things, they still have SN15 on the launch pad for inspection. There's not much activity going on. With that, uh, they've moved the nose cone that they had moved out to the launch pad for some testing. They moved it back to the production area and they removed the testing uh, architecture around it. and. So they're they're moving ahead with certain certain things. SN16 is still in the barn, and then BN2, which is the big booster, the first stage booster of Starship, is being assembled right now. As is BN3. Talking about BN3, that is supposed to be the first version for the orbital version of Starship, and we got our first indication of what they're really planning for that in the past week. Now the Verge broke this news, but as soon as it broke, it went everywhere. 
So what are we talking about? We're talking about a nonstop flight from Boca Chica, Texas to Hawaii. That is a sub or what I am terming a suborbital flight 001 for Starship and the development of program. It's just a test flight and everybody's calling it an orbital flight. But in my terms, it's a suborbital flight. We'll get to that. So what happened here? SpaceX filed a communications plan for its first Starship suborbital flight with the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, on Thursday, May 13th, 2021. The filing was first reported by The Verge and reported elsewhere after that. In the filing, SpaceX referred to the flight as a Starship orbital test, which would include an orbital stage launch and orbital stage landing about 62 miles from the coast of Kauai, which is Hawaii's most northern island. Now, the booster stage, which is the big one, the BN2, the BN3 that we're talking about, the booster stage is going to launch from Boca Chica, Texas and land in the water off the coast of Texas, roughly 20 miles from the shore. These two landings, the water landing off Hawaii and the water landing off of Texas are very interesting. And I want to get you guys takes on them. I have my thoughts on it and why it's a success if they do this, because they don't have to worry about it landing and exploding or catching on fire. It can just go in the ocean. They can recover it from the ocean so they will have physical hardware. And if they simulate landing it right above the ocean, it's basically going to be at zero velocity right as it drops into the ocean. So you're not going to get any impact damage necessarily from the ocean. So this is an interesting way to skirt a landing issue. What do you guys think about that? I think they're just trying to find a cheap way to get to Hawaii. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) It's not cheap. Not cheap. (laughs) Yeah. It's an interesting idea. I think it makes sense, like you said, to try something different in this regard. And yeah, you'll get, you'll have a little bit of water you get to deal with once it plunks itself under the ocean, but I'm sure they're used to that at this point in time. Okay. I have two thoughts on this. Number one, you mentioned they filed with the FCC, correct? Yeah. And I will get into that in a little bit, but yes, they did. Well, have they filed with the FCA, the Ferengi Commerce Authority? I was just curious if they they had filed that yet or not. Not that I know of, Okay, but those communications aren't generally open. I mean, I can't go on the internet and search for that, so I don't know if they have or they haven't. Okay, fair enough. Brunt Brunt is standing by. Um, I I did, though, want to know whether or not the landing air quotes in the water would be beneficial from recovering the the unit. Um, obviously, I guess it's better than an explosion, but w- wouldn't you have a lot of water damage that might affect some of the information that you could pull? I was thinking about that, especially with the electronics. And there's probably yeah. some uh, flaps and doors that they can close. Remember, these are space-tight things that are vehicles that are put together to begin with. So you could watertight some... Uh, sensitive areas for electronics and sensitive components and that sort of thing. But I don't think they're planning on using this again. So as long as it's not physically damaged and we've already seen like the space shuttle boosters have been recovered from the ocean over and over again, they have to go through an extensive refurbishment afterwards, but they were reused. Uh, Matter of fact, over the course of the entire shuttle program, they only lost a total of four boosters and, Those four were due to accidents that occurred on launch. So it's possible to do all this. Now, I don't think they're going to reuse the ship. I think it is simply for testing, and that's why they're willing just to throw it away. We've already seen them throw away how many vehicles with the Starship upper stage. I mean, we're at SN15 right now, so they've thrown away a lot of prototypes along the way. This is just another one for them to throw away. And uh, we'll get into why they're doing it, but I I just wanted to call out the water landings. These are not what you would see with the Falcon 9 boosters where they come down on a ship. They are literally planning a water landing here. So I see some hmm. benefits to it. Uh, the last two starships that came down, you know, we were worried about the fire or the yeah. last <laughs> two of the last three. We were worried about the fire on the bit. pad. We're on fire watch for hours after SN15. So they don't have to worry about this. They just grab it and go. 
I do have a question okay, for you, by the way. Yeah. Okay. So we talked a minute ago about how over the years we've tried different things on the Gunda Geek show for for getting reliable video with each other and whatnot. And and I think we've kind of found our groove of reliability with video. And what the listeners and the viewers don't know is that we created our own technology. And if I remember correctly, it's a wireless signal. And it runs somewhere in the, you know, 2200 to 2300 megahertz band range. So is that going to affect me at all, SP? Might. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, <laughs> but first, I want to finish off with this flight path. Oh, so, I set you up for the segue and everything. Come I know, on. <laughs> I know you did, but I, I wanted to talk about the flight path. So the flight path will be less than a complete circle around the Earth. And most rocket scientists would agree to call this test a suborbital flight because of that, because you're not going to get a full orbit out of it. Now, the vehicle will reach a velocity and altitude sufficient to sustain a complete orbit. And typical orbital values for sustained human flight are about 200, 250 miles above the Earth in altitude. This test in the email submission, which was obtained by The Verge, the email submission from SpaceX to the FCC stated the minimum altitude for the Starship or the maximum altitude for the Starship test will be 72 miles. So it's not going to really be enough to sustain orbit after orbit after orbit. You might get a few in, but ultimately the upper atmospheric drag is going to bring that vehicle down without a boost into a higher orbit. Okay, in the filing. It states that the frequency bands to be used by the test vehicle are in the realm of 2200 megahertz, as Stephen was just saying, to the upper 2200 megahertz, and then in the 2300 megahertz or 2.2 gigahertz and 2.3 gigahertz. Why is that important? Well, if you go to an FCC adoption memo, which was signed on January 11th, 1990. The FCC memo is 90-16. And it was titled, The Amendment of the Frequency Allocation and Aviation Services Rules Part 2 and 85 to provide frequencies for use by commercial space launch vehicles. And Stephen, get to your point before, this means that no, Gunna Geek Show cannot use these frequencies because the FCC would have shut it down because we are not a military or commercial space flight test vehicle. Although, if you want to fund that, well, we could definitely use those frequencies. Just, I'm just going to put this out there. Yo ho, yo ho, pirates left <laughs> for me. And, and I'll also just put it out there that yes, I wouldn't be able to use it with you guys, but uh, I am Canadian and the FCC is a American government body. It's true. But they are de facto the head of the international communication frequency allocations. But I'm not sure we need it since we got our Pfizer shots and they put the microchip in us. We should just <laughs> oh, be able we're, to, we're all 5G, to sync yeah. up like the and Borg over 5G. Right. Now, true. 5G is up in 6 gigahertz. It's that's not true. down in yeah, the 2.2 gigahertz. Then. All right. So if you want to know the actual frequencies, I've got them all. You can go to the filing. You can see them. The first one is 23... 64.5 megahertz, and the last one is 2287.5 megahertz. They're in three separate groupings. There's one for the booster stage that interfaces with ground stations. There's one for there's three for the orbital stage that interface with ground stations, and there's one frequency for the orbital stage that will interface with a space link. I'm not sure where they're interfacing in space. I don't know if it's Starlink or maybe NASA's TDRS satellites. I don't know, but there is a space communications component going on with this test. So Starship Splashdown is targeted to be 5,420 seconds after liftoff. That's actually stated in the filing. So if you do some quick calculations, it's 90 minutes and 20 seconds after liftoff. So they're going to do this entire suborbital flight, which is almost all the way around the world in 90 minutes. The objectives for the flight is SpaceX intends to collect as much data as possible during flight to quantify entry dynamics and better understand what the vehicle experiences in a flight regime that is extremely difficult to accurately predict or replicate computationally, in other words, modeling and simulation. <laughs> 
This data will anchor any changes in vehicle design or con ops after the first flight and build better models for SpaceX to use in their internal simulations. Now, there's just one question left, guys. When is this flight going to happen? So in the Can submission I email... Can I think again? Yeah, go ahead. Go uh, ahead. Yeah. March 1st, 2022. By March 1st, 2022. Yes, oh. that was in the email submission by SpaceX wow. to the FCC because they had to reserve the frequencies between now and then. So How'd you yeah. know that, Steve? I don't know. How'd you know? I'm glad he did, actually, which proves that he can read. So SpaceX CEO Elon Musk has previously tweeted in March here in 2021 that the goal of completing the Starship full stack flight test is by July 1st, 2021. That's a goal. That's not necessarily the truth of the matter. We'll see if there's further delays. Uh, if BN2 test doesn't go off how they want, they're going to have to do some iterations before they get to this test. But I know that with Elon's time frame. He, at some point, he wants to make one of those Martian transit windows, right, which come every 26 months. So he's on the hunt to do that. And he's got that NASA contract to provide a lunar lander as well. And it's based on the same starship. So it's to his advantage to get this done as soon as possible. But you still have to abide by safety. There's technical hurdles to get over and everything else. But it was really interesting, one, that all this information came out on an FCC filing, and two, that The Verge was the one to uncover it, which means that mainstream media is really hunting down stuff to talk about SpaceX because it is an exciting thing that's happening right now. Uh, I guess the other possible delay factor is how many episodes or how many appearances on SNL Elon makes between now and then, because that'll probably throw the schedule off a little bit as well. It might, but he is not the sole person that is in charge of all this. He's got some marching orders that he gives to Gwen, the president of SpaceX, and Gwen takes it, runs with it. So there, there's a lot going on here with SpaceX, and he can't control everything. He can push things to happen that's for sure but he's not the one that's actually turning wrenches i suspect he would love to be the one turning the wrenches but my experience when a ceo or president is actually the one in the work area turning wrenches something always happens i mean you can break off a bolt head you can miss a connection there's lots of things that somebody that's not a specialist doing it is going to go wrong. So it may or may not have happened to a uh, program manager that uh, uh, we might know. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, thank you for keeping us informed about this. Uh, it will be interesting to see what sort of random jargon Elon makes up for the failure when it fails the water landing. Yeah, it's not going to be a run. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go to, a, I, I think, one that might take us a little bit to talk about. This, this is, I think, going to be a lot of conversation today. What's going on, Chris? So you guys thought streaming was complex and complicated to figure out who owned what rights and whatnot before today. Well, it just got a bit more difficult. Let, let me just say, you know what? How can it get any worse? Because we had all of that HBO fiasco happen, where there's a bunch of different HBO mm -hmm. thing. And basically, we got landed at HBO. Um, what was it Max. now? Plus HBO Max. Max thank you. HBO Max. A a HBO ATT. HBO Max. And, and so I just know whatever you tell us won't affect HBO after that whole fiasco, right? Sure it won't. So a uh, quick flashback here for a second. If you watch John Oliver, you know he refers to AT&T, Time Warner, and Warner Media as business daddy. We're going to be talking about John Oliver's business daddy this evening. As it was announced today, as we record this on May 17th, that AT&T is spinning off its media business, Warner Media, and they're going to merge it with a little company you might have heard of called, uh, I don't know, Discovery? You guys heard of Discovery Channel and oh. Discovery Networks and Discovery Plus? Yeah, that was um, uh, the, the company that that guy that we know. Um, oh, man, what's his name? He, he is a podcaster. We've had he loves Stone Cold Steve Austin. Had him on, no, we've had him on the show before. Um, he's He's got that amazing co-host named Ashley Hamer. Um, 
Oh, actually, mm. I don't think Hamer is her last name anymore. But okay, but yeah, Ash, Ashley is her first name. But you know, you know who I'm talking about. Oh, I can't remember. I do. I can't the, remember the, his that name. That guy though. that we know that's verified with the big hair. I don't know. I, I want to say it's John Martin. Anyways, let, he, let's it, just call him Professor Fluffington. Professor Fluffington. That's <laughs> okay. right. Oh, that, that's a, that's a good name for somebody who is a an appliance salesman. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's that's go right. with that. Oh, it's Cody Goff. Cody Goff works for Discovery. Ooh. So that's who it is. The name's not familiar. Sorry. Anyways, go ahead, Chris. <laughs> it was announced today that AT&T was spinning off all of their media services and putting them under the Discovery banner, which arguably is going to make for one huge media conglomerate. Why do I say that? Well, Warner Media owns HBO, which we've talked about has a huge back catalog of content and original content. CNN, Cartoon Network, TBS, TNT, and the Warner Brothers Movie Studio. And here's why Warner Brothers Movie Studio might be kind of important. They're responsible for the Harry Potter franchise, the Batman franchise, and all of the DC superhero movies that have been coming out. They're then merging with Discovery, which operates cable channels like HT, excuse me, HGTV, Animal Planet, Food Network, and TLC. Where it gets interesting is... Both of these companies have their own streaming platforms in HBO Max and Discovery Plus, respectively. So we'll touch on that more as we work our way through the news. It came out today that the boards of both AT&T and Discovery have approved the deal, but it still has to be signed off on by regulators, meaning there is a potential that this deal may not happen if regulators come in and go, Haha, no, 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 this isn't happening. How did this happen? It's an all-stock transaction which sees AT&T receive $43 billion in a combination of cash, debt securities, and debt retention on part of Warner Media. This is massive. The new combination of Warner Media and Discovery becomes the world's second largest media firm by revenue with an enterprise value of $132 billion, according to the Financial Times. That puts them behind this little company called Disney that you guys may have heard of. Disney. You guys familiar with that company? Yeah, vaguely familiar. Just a little bit. Yeah. I think it's the company that has that new Mighty Ducks show on it. It's true. Game Changers, I think is what it's called. Yeah, Mighty Game, Ducks, Mighty Game, Ducks, Changers. Game Changers. Yeah, yeah. I think I haven't that's had on Disney. It yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's good. Now, we're all in hypotheticals right now. The acquisition was announced or the merger was announced today. Nothing's definitive on a specific date it's going to happen. We're waiting on regulators to come in. Which kind of leads us to this question of, hmm, well, Warner put a crap load of money into spinning up HBO Max and getting eyes on it, including, as we talked about on this show, saying all movies coming out in 2021 will be debuting on HBO Max. And then just recently, Discovery Channel launched their Discovery Plus app application, which has the entire back catalog of Discovery Channel content, like all of Mythbusters, all of Deadliest Catch, things like that, in addition to ongoing new content and exclusive online originals that are spun off of shows that are on their cable channels. So they have two fairly robust apps that people have been subscribing and buying uh, monthly memberships for. What is unclear, and both the CEOs of Discovery and AT&T did not provide any information on what would happen to these respective apps. Are they going to get merged into one? Are they going to keep two separate subscriptions out there for these two services? Editorial note, I don't think that's the case. Or are they going to merge it all and make a double price or a combined price to entice people to go in and play the game? We don't really know, but they did mention in a presentation to investors today that their back catalogs create a media library with some 200,000 hours of content. So there's a lot of content that this combined company will now own. They just kind of have to figure out how they're going to distribute it, which is all up in midair, up in air. My guess, we see a merger of the Discovery and HBO Max applications into whatever this group calls themselves going forward. My assumption, they would do something that still references HBO because of the brand recognition on it and the fact that a lot of people think HBO and think prestige level entertainment, high quality entertainment, things like that, because they think of the highly produced Game of Thrones, early seasons, editorial note, and other <laughs> HBO exclusives and originals. Uh, yeah, this is, this is really interesting, I think, um, because there is some pretty high demand content on both of these platforms. Now, 
there's lots of people that are that'll dog all over the content on both sides of the house all day long. It's just not their cup of tea. That's fine. Doesn't matter. At bottom line is the so, people who are watching it. You mean all of TLC basically no longer being the learning channel, 100%. but being the reality TV trash channel. Here's the thing. I dog on TLC all the time. You dog on TLC all the time. We can dog on it all we want. They have a big following. It's true. Like the food channels. I know there's lots of people that go, why do people spend endless amount of time watching food that they're never going to make? Lots of following, right? Like there is a lot of content out there on these different different networks. Um, and I think that it's really interesting that we're getting them packaged into one app because again, that whole split thing that we've talked about with streaming where there is so much in-demand content on different streaming services, unless this number, the, the subscription fee goes sky high, it's almost a benefic- benefit to people who might be possibly watching content from both sides of the house. I was going to mention that, that I am not really interested in a lot of the shows or any of the shows on Discovery Plus. I am a deadliest catch watcher and I still have a cable subscription. I know I said I was going to get rid of it this year. That's still going to happen. Uh, but one of the things that had me hemming and hawing was I was going to have to get a Discovery Plus subscription in order to watch like the deadliest catch. And specifically, there's a spinoff show right now called Deadliest Catch Bloodline. It is not enough for me to get a subscription to Discovery Plus. It is your stereotypical trash reality TV. It's produced up the wazoo. It doesn't have any of the factors that I watch actual Deadliest Catch for. And I was not going to get a Discovery Plus subscription. However, if, and this is not for certain from what you guys are talking about, but if they combine it with HBO Max or whatever they're going to call the new app, right? Then, yeah, I'd watch the show if I had time, but I'm not going to watch it anytime else. So if you combine it into something like Disney has with Disney Plus, where you have all that content just ready to go right there that I am interested in watching, and you have it on whatever they're going to call Warner Brothers Plus. Let's just call it Warner Brothers Plus for lack of a better term right now. At least that's what I'm going to call it. Then, yeah, I'll I'll get it because I have that HBO Max subscription right now anyway. So, yeah, I'll do it. It'll be interesting to see how this shakes out, too. If they're spinning off Warner Media away from AT&T right now, a lot of bundles, if you have AT&T cellular service, come with HBO Max included. My guess is that goes away if they're getting mm-hmm. spun off into their own thing, which means I'll probably lose. I'll probably be leaving my AT and T service because part of the reason I kept it is I was on a decent plan that then gave me HBO Max, so I didn't have to shell out an extra fifteen bucks a month. But what's the point of that? But there is a ton of content like we talked about, and in our show notes, there's a graphic that I, I pulled off the Verge, which I think they got from the Investor Summary site, just of every network that's included under this, and they're going to have a variety of original content sports programming, things like that. There's going to be a boatload of stuff that you'll, in theory, be able to watch on whatever platform they put it on. Now, let's not assume that this won't get bungled up because we've all dunked on how AT&T handled the acquisition of DirecTV in a lot of these channels. Remember, they bought DirecTV, what, in 2017? In that time, they lost 8.5 million subscribers. They also canceled DirecTV streaming service that was actually well-liked and well-reviewed to replace with expensive AT&T branded streaming services that in some cases required you to get an AT&T streaming box to be able to gain access to. They've kind of screwed up some of those things in regard to that. And if you're a comic book fan, the acquisition of uh, DC Comics as part of that Time Warner deal by AT&T, you've seen a lot of the uh, creators you like forced out the door because it's too expensive to pay these good creators the wages they deserve. Instead, they'll bring in staff writers and stuff like that and give them bare minimums. So there's been a huge purge in the editorial department of DC Comics, less so in the art side of the house, but I wouldn't be shocked if it's coming. And we've also seen the number of monthly books get cut down a lot, which you could argue is a good thing because there might have mm-hmm. been too much stuff. Mm-hmm. But the future of DC Comics is still kind of I don't know what's going to happen here, guys, because this is another company now that's inheriting a comic book company. And honestly, the value I think AT&T saw in them was not the monthly books. 
It was the stories that could be made into movies and animated or live action television programs. So what this means for the future of DC Comics could be very interesting here. I've got kind of three things that I want to quickly touch on here. Number one, the DC Comics thing. Um, That'll be interesting to see what happens because I think it's one of the outliers in sort of the properties that both of these companies own. I think DC is, is... because it's more than just a channel, more than just a program, right? Like, like it's a whole big thing. I think that'll be interesting to follow. The second thing that I think is kind of of note in this here, when you look at everything that these two merge together makes, CNN is another one that's a bit of an out- outlier here when you look at all of the different things, because th- <laughs> we just spent so much time talking about reality TV and different scripted television and things like that. And CW or CNN is, is there's foreshadowing. CNN is sort of its own thing, but even bigger than that, like it's, you know, when you consider the worldwide physical presence and things like that, I almost think that that's an interesting thing to follow. And the last thing I want to mention on this, don't forget Warner has a 50% stake in CW. They have 50%. Do they still, or did they get bought out by? No, I don't think they did. I believe they still own. They still own 50%. Okay. So yeah, well. that'll be interesting to see. I think that that might get thrown, uh, flogged because, or, or flogged, you know, sold off, right? Because I think the other half is CBS, right? Yeah, it's Viacom slash Paramount. Yeah, and and you know what, what Paramount's doing with their... It, it is, right? Because you know what they're doing there with their push. So that's some pretty big competition there. So I, I actually didn't think about this until right now. Where will that sort of land there with the, the CW stuff if it's a 50-50 split? I, I think we'll probably see Warner try to sell the 50. I know it's important to a lot of people. I could care less, though. I don't see anything on CW that's worth my time watching at the moment. And we've gone through that before, so I don't want to beat a dead horse. One thing that I do want to mention, though, is I have been without the Science Channel for a very long time. It was taken off the normal tier for cable. And I have just not splurged for the streaming version or the premiere version of it or whatever. That's included here as well. I wouldn't mind getting that back. I've been substituting for some uh, like PBS shows like Nova and stuff like that. But I, I haven't had a good science show in my rotation for a while now. I guess Cosmo. I bought both Cosmo series and then it ended up on, uh, I think, Prime. So if you have Amazon Prime, you can see Cosmos over there. But uh, yeah, it's it's just something that I, I, I wish I I could watch. Now, aside from the DC comic book shows on CW, Stephen, since you brought this up, what, uh, wh- why else would I care about it? I, it's not about you caring about it because like, if we yeah. want to go in our chat room, we just had 10 minutes of people talking about why they don't care about most of the programming that's that we've just mentioned. Right. Okay, so, fair, fair. So, so I, I, it's not about you. CW has a bunch of following, right. And, and it's like all all of these other channels, right? Like Deadliest Catch. I, I watched like ten episodes and said this is so terrible. Where is the? I, I'm not trying to to denounce CW. I'm literally asking where is the following? Is it with the DC shows or was is it something else on CW? It, it's, it's Chris. You're gonna answer. I can I can see you. It depends on the target demographic you're looking at. To be honest, because DC and not DC, uh, CW targets a younger demographic of which we are not part of. And they target the male side of that demographic more so with the DC shows, is my understanding. And then the women's side or the woman side of the demographic is more targeted towards things like uh, the Riverdales and things like that, that are more of the uh, Beverly Hills 90210-esque-ish kind of things where it's yeah. it's still, it's a drama, but it's not necessarily like superhero kind of drama. And I'm doing a terrible job of explaining that. So please send your hate mail to JS at gunageek.com for how I used stereotypes and stuff to explain how these break down. Okay. Do you guys think that is still a viable business model? Well, I think that CW is such a small piece of any of this there that it doesn't really matter. The bigger okay. story is the is the ongoing merging of all of these different networks and what that's going to end up meaning for the users in the end. The reason I, I wanted to bring up CW was because it was a split stake, right? And and you can agree or disagree. There's relevance. The bottom line is, is there's television programming on there. Expanded recently. They keep expanding their days of, of active new programming. Therefore, what one would assume they are continuing to grow their audience. Um, 
but it's a 50-50 stake. And that's where I, I found it interesting was, was it wasn't a clear-cut channel and they do have a following. So again, I know that's not relevant to you. I know that you've denounced all CW basically, but I think it's it was a, an interesting consideration. It is interesting when you brought it up. That's the first thing that came to my mind, actually, is if it is split, who owns it? Like, is it split 50-50? Do you, if, if you fold it and you have to divide it, like, where does all that stuff go? Or does it just fall off the face of the planet? I don't know. So, it's like how Hulu used to be when it was split between Comcast and Fox, Comcast slash NBC Universal and Fox. And I think there was a third party at one point in time. I think it might have been ABC slash Disney, something like that. So these things have happened before. How Warner's Cut, I think, is working in there is they have their own properties that are licensed to do television programs, so all of the DC superhero shows, for instance, are licensed by Warner mm. Brothers in some way, shape, or form. And then they have other entertainment on there that is bought, purchased or uh, bought by the CW to air on there. And my assumption, I'm no expert here, is 50-50 split is that both companies are paying for half of it. And there's got to be some way in the end if they decide to have one part buy everything out, figure out how things go forward from there. I don't know what the final end gap in solution is for it, but mm. yeah, I, the CW didn't even factor in on what we've seen here, but the DC content that is on the CW does factor in because that's owned by Warner brothers. Right. Well, okay. it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes up in the end and what sort of price tag people would be paying for um, the streaming. I did also hear that they, they reference specifically the idea of a worldwide presence. So I will say, if this leads to them having more control directly offering their different content and their network to me in Canada, bypassing all of the stupid, bloody Canadian media conglomerates that have their licensed content in there, I'm looking forward to this. I am so sick and tired of this US content being split between a bunch of different Canadian networks because they option the rights. Oh, I am so hoping this happens. And that's a problem across the world. We've talked about with Netflix and lesser extents too. And it's a matter of how all these contracts are worded. And then when these two companies merge, seeing how these differing contracts for different services may work. And we'd already seen that problem with HBO Max before. For instance, folks in the UK who wanted to watch Wonder Woman 1984, well, they didn't have HBO Max. They had to purchase it through, God, I can't remember the site that they put it up on, but it was available to purchase a streaming rental somewhere. I can't remember where. I apologize. Anyone who's listening in the UK, please send me a message <laughs> on Facebook, Twitter, whatever, and let me know. I know I'd seen stuff on Twitter, but I don't know that that problem you're talking about, Stephen, is going to be solved in the short term, no. but more so in the long term as those current deals expire with the Canadian channels that they have basically farmed their content out to then they can start pulling them all into that same manner. Same as we've seen with Disney. Yeah. Whereas Disney couldn't put everything on Disney Plus until deals expired. And, and that is true. I, I did see that in Canada. There was a lot of programming that all of a sudden was no longer available to legally view in Canada because it wasn't on TV. It wasn't available for rental, anything like that. So then, but that was in the lead up to Disney Plus. And then Disney Plus came out and there you go. It's all right there, right? So... I definitely would be okay with this. So, Chris, if it doesn't happen in, I'll give you three years' time, I'm going to come knocking at your door and say, you lied to me, Chris. Why don't you just use a VPN and pretend like you're in the United States? No comment. <laughs> <laughs> so, I am looking at this graphic, and Stephen brought up an interesting point for Canada. I know other countries have that same sort of issue, and sometimes it comes down to the country involved mandates a certain percentage of the content that is available to be made domestically in their country of origin, right? So there's always going to be, when you have laws like that, different conglomerations of networks, if not just different networks entirely. So I'd be interested to see this graphic that you have on here, which you mentioned might have come from their investment uh, announcement. I'd be interested in seeing that for different countries with this and what it means. 
uh, for properties that they own. Now, I, I realize that there's contracts that they go out to other networks and, and properties as well. So it's not just going to be as clean. But like in Canada, you have what? The Space Network and a, and a couple of other networks up there that this kind of merges into and around and stuff like that. I would be interested to see those types of, of um, I don't know. It's almost some sort of Venn diagram <laughs> that you'd have to look at or something like that. Similar to the diagrams we've seen showing who owns the rights to Marvel movies until Disney started consolidating all of them. But one thing to consider, and I'm not trying to be American centric here, but this is two companies in the United States that have to get their regulatory approval. I don't know that the uh, international slate of things is going to shape up until they get the approval for these two groups to actually merge and figure out their plan going forward from there. So I expect we'll see something about how they plan to handle international release other than maybe just some high level comments in the investor slides and investor overviews, but don't expect anything in depth until they get the approval to say, yay, verily, these two companies can become one. You know, SP actually brought up a really good point there where he's talking about, you know, different content and things like that. And from Canada perspective, I don't know worldwide, but like Discovery, Discovery Channel Canada is different than Discovery Channel U.S. When Mythbusters was a show, Mythbusters was basically the only show I was, you know, religiously trying to watch on Discovery. And I I would sometimes have it out of order. Sometimes I wouldn't get all yeah. the episodes, things like that. HGTV, there's HGTV Canada, there's HGTV US. On the flip side of things, TLC is TLC. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's all Lucky the same, you. right? <laughs> so, so, um, I think TBS, there isn't an, an official Canada one, but there are some situations where, yeah, they, they have the, the quote channel like HGTV. It's just called HGTV, but it is different programming. So anyways, uh, I, I look forward to seeing how this does all shake out because, again, it's a lot of properties that were on two different streaming platforms in one. And hopefully, hopefully they won't try to just, you know, put the two fees together and charge users that amount. Or worse yet, break it up further than they already have. Mm. Actually, if you break it out further, I think that might almost be better for users because they can, it would arguably make the prices lesser. And you could be like, well, I don't care about this content, so I don't need to subscribe to this portion of discovery, say the reality TV tier versus the history tier. But there's inevitably going to be several tiers that you want. Yeah. Maybe what you need is you need one one body that delivers the content to you and you just pick and choose what channels you want. And then they can package it together and they can go, you could get this package if you want. What you treat, what you need and what we've always needed <laughs> and we'll never get is a true a la carte want the service where you can be like, I yeah. want Discovery, I want History Channel, and I want ESPN, and I don't give two craps about the rest of these other things. De we'll facto, never get it. Well, de facto, we've gotten it, not by the networks but by the individual shows themselves because you yeah. can always find a series to buy somewhere yes but that doesn't necessarily help you in live sports like in the situation i had explained yeah. there you still have yeah. to find a way to get that which has become better with things like espn plus and the integration of the ufc into that things like that regardless there's a lot of things that are going to happen with these two combined companies and there's going to be a lot of reaction from these other streaming providers out there. It's going to make things very interesting over the next six to nine months to see how things shape up. And I'm curious how some of these other companies respond. Who mm -hmm. goes on to the acquisition fest next and decides I'm going to buy this because I'm intimidated. Yeah. Wait and see. Uh, one last quick thing I just want to quickly mention was today there was two music pieces of news in there. Amazon Music HD is apparently coming. And also Apple is introducing lossless music. So I, I don't think we need to get into a big dialogue about this, but I know we've talked about smart speakers. We've talked about streaming audio. I think it's really interesting that we're now getting towards the point that people are caring about audio quality for a while or, or, or again, because for a while there, audio quality, when people were like looking to house their own collection, the people who were collecting digital music, we're looking at what was the best way to, to get that quality. Like there, there were people who were keeping waves locally to, to have on their computer. There were people who were having really, really large MP3s compared to the standard one, right? And so I, I think that all went away when people started to find, you know, convenience of headphones and things like that, which weren't that great quality. But now I guess the audio in 
consumer habits, whether it is things like the AirPods or devices like the smart speakers that have higher quality audio, I guess we're getting back to where people are are wanting better quality audio. So well, they're pitching it like we're getting back to that. I guarantee you the speakers and a lot of these smart devices and stuff like that are not going to truly be able to deliver the quality <laughs> audio that you get from Apple's lossless format or Amazon's HD format. But it sure sounds good in a press release. Just like I'm sure most of the headphones that kids buy, let's say they're Beats by Dre, are not really going to give them the appropriate way to listen to this high quality lossless audio. And oh yeah, it's also going to use a crap load more data, which is something that people aren't going to necessarily consider at first, especially if they're doing it mobile. That was the two things that I was thinking about was the data involved with all this. And then also you talking about speaker types and speaker quality. I think the market there is a lot of the newer sound bars that are on the higher Mm. end that people have attached to their new flat screen TVs because they figured out that the in board speakers were crap. I think it's those types of devices that people are wishing had higher quality because you have Bluetooth connectivity that you can go from your tablet or from your phone to it. So they're noticing a, a loss of quality. Also, uh, since the next generation has now reached adulthood that just started growing up with cell phones and cell phones, not smartphones, cell phones, I think they're at the point where they are in their post-college domiciles and and they want a little bit better quality stuff, just like we did when we got out of co- college and we started to be able to afford things for the first time in our lives. So I, I think those have an impact to these services. I have no idea if they're going to make it or not. Well, I mean, it, they're not adding it at any extra charge, at least in Apple's case. And I don't, I didn't remember on the Amazon article if they are or not. So at the very least, it's a, hey, this sounds really good on paper and it's a way to differentiate my service to be like, hey, here's why you might want to go this route. But let's be honest, the vast majority of folks probably don't have the hardware to support this higher quality music to be able to notice the difference between the high quality AAC Apple file or just a regular MP3 that you're streaming through Apple Music on your regular AirPods. Come on, it's not going to make a difference there. That's very noticeable. I, I don't know that I agree on AirPods. It, it's rare that I the give baseline uh, AirPods, not AirPods Pro, basic AirPods. Uh, I, I was giving Apple the credit of AirPods, but I was talking AirPods Pro because I do know more and more people are buying them. And also the data thing, you're right. The data, because the other thing I was thinking was the car audio has gotten really good, even on like a like mm. just a baseline car audio is actually pretty good. But you're right, people with the data, mm. Yeah, okay, I'll retract the the car audio. I still actually want to give Apple the credit on the AirPods because I understand. I have not tried them, but they apparently are are pretty decent. So that so okay, we'll see. But yeah, the data, I forgot about the data. You were entirely right on that. The data, people will churn through it and be like, wait, my 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 data plan's all maxed out. Oh. Well, I'm not even talking data plan on a cell phone. Say you've got a decent home theater or sound bar and you want to stream high quality music through it. We're all pretty much data capped on our home internet plans right now. Whether they enforce that cap right now or not is a different story, but I'm I'm capped at 1.2 terabytes, I think. Mm-hmm. I go over that every month, so I paid extra for unlimited. Well, I look forward to people complaining everywhere. But that's going to go ahead and take us to the end of the show. Before we wrap up, I'll just give everybody a moment to plug and promote and do whatever they'd like to do. Let's start off with USP. Yeah, if you want to learn all about podcasting and how that affects the hobbyist and uh, maybe how some of this technology affects podcasting, we got that over at betterpodcasting.com and we will be live tomorrow night talking about your questions and the industry of podcasting in general. Chris Farrell. Friendly reminder, we have a lot of live content that we stream here on Geeks.Live. So if you're watching the show live right now or come at a later date, scroll down to Geeks.Live, go to the bottom of the page. You'll see a calendar of all of our upcoming live events. Please come check those out and chime in in the chat room and tell them that we sent you. And I want to give a little plug here, a little pat on the back to none other than Chris Farrell. That's who I want to promote right now. And the reason why I want to promote Chris Farrell right now is because 
Last week, I got caught up with the everybody's playing the new Mass Effect redo game, and uh, I knew all sorts of people playing it. He was playing it. My brother was playing it. I've talked before about how I literally have bought Mass Effect and never done it, and I was thinking before, uh, maybe this is the time. Maybe I get it for the PC or whatever, and, and now, now I finally play that, and I, I talked to Chris, and I'm like, Chris, talk me into it, and he did not talk me into it. He, he let me talk. He, he didn't push me towards it, but he he, uh, he did not push me to buy something that I probably would play like three times and then run out of time. So, Chris, I got to say, you walked that line really, really well, and uh, you gave me what I needed if I wanted to go into it, but you didn't you didn't say, go do it. So, thank you, Chris. Look, it's a great game series, but to play through all three of them, you're talking a commitment of hundreds of hours. <laughs> to play through all of them. Probably 200 hours on the low end of things if you do all the DLCs that are included in it because every DLC but one from the trilogy is included and that one's not included because the source code was bugged and they couldn't recreate it. <laughs> so for episode number 377 of the official Gunna Geek show, I'm Stephen John Drew saying, hey, will Gunna Geek merge with ATGN to form a whole new streaming service? I don't know, maybe Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. will be involved. I'm SP saying Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is up for it, so let's go. I'm Chris. No one gonna pay for that stuff. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks for checking out another episode of the official GunnaGeek.com show. If you like the show, please give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on YouTube. You can always join us for our live recording sessions, which stream Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern at www.geeks.live. And remember, you can find our full back catalog at gunnageek.com forward slash show. If you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunnageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week.